My name is Bear, and this is Sawdust Boogie. If you desire to reconcile being an old soul in a new world, stick around. You're welcome here. In the studio, today is April 15th, 2021, 7-11 p.m., and I have sitting next to me, Matt Spicer. Matt Spicer is a good friend of mine who is a therapist who happened to help me through a lot of issues earlier, uh, maybe a few years back when I was dealing with some loss and some grief and some other things. Turns out this dude rules not only on a therapy level, but just an all around dude level. Hence, he is on the podcast. So, um... Uh, we have some some questions for him. He's not only a therapist, he happens to be way into um, overlanding and fishing and barbecuing as well. So we've got some questions about that stuff. But one thing that I think is interesting about what he does is uh, I manage a few different personalities at work. And I'm new to management in general. And I find that it is very difficult for me to cater to each different personality. I I have my way of doing things, and I'm going to assume that you probably need to get on board with that. And if you can't, then I'm going to probably blame you, which is terrible to think (laughs) that way. So it's something I'm constantly trying to improve upon. But it made me think, how does somebody in your position literally, I mean, it's like completely changes gears when the next person walks in. And how do you get to a point to where you just think for that individual rather than just this is what Matt Spicer does? Sure. Yeah. So basically the the biggest benefit I have that you don't have is that all of mine are in the same building at the same time. (laughs) If they were all in the same room, that would continue to be really difficult. But basically you got to go to the bathroom. So you get up. You get out of the chair, you go be a normal person in the hallway, and you come back, and you got to put it on the game face. And the game face is everyone's coming in with something different. If you're still behind, you're bringing in stuff that's not theirs. If I just got into a difficult conversation with my wife, I can't put that on you. So it's more so getting into people's heads and, and kind of crawling in there and going, all right, well, now what do we have here again? Because I, I may not remember the feeling we had last time, but if, if my job is to know where you're at, not to just understand you, but to really kind of get in your world and figure that out. So even before I start to figure something out and go, okay, here's the specific advice, it's, it's more so where are you at? And so we kind of kind of got to figure out how to create our own environment. And so that's just huge part is is you, it's really more connecting than it is giving advice. And so it kind of takes the pressure off of having to do that perfectly. Yeah. So your first day of school, did they say, hey, uh, rule number one between every client, you need to go ahead and go to the bathroom and clear your head. That was number two, day number two. What was day number one? <laughs> day number one was uh, you're all fools for wanting to do this as a living. <laughs> it's yeah. too hard. And we feel bad for your spouses, your future spouses. Absolutely. Um, okay, let's get down to the easy ones here. What is your full name? Matthew Wright Spicer the first. Matthew Wright. That's W-R-I-G-H-T. Yep, like Spicer. the Wright brothers. Yes, the first. Yeah, that's just and what I like to add in there. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's for me. Yeah. Um, any aliases we need to know about? Oh gosh. Um, spice world, spice girl, spice boy, baby spice, spicy spice, spice, and ace. I always wanted to be called ace. So I tried to drum up a lot of attention <laughs> yeah. like that in junior high. <laughs> and really I just got made fun of. And that ended up being my nickname most of the time. What was, uh, the Seinfeld, uh, George wanted to be called, what was it? Uh, T-bone? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, that makes more sense for him for sure. I don't I know if I'm he wanted guy. to be called T Bone, so he started ordering it for lunch. <laughs> And then they ended up calling another dude T-Bone, and they started calling him Coco the Monkey. <laughs> love it. Was it. Great, love it. Love it. It was great. Uh, what, what would your mom call you, Matt? Matthew. And your dad? Matthew. Grandpa? Matthew. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Matthew. That, that goes deep. Oh, come on, Matthew. <laughs> More like that. Yeah, yeah, I guess so where were you born and what what did they i was born in west memphis dang crittenden county west I am, memphis i am saint francis bounty uh county born and raised well, not born i was born in west memphis and raised outside of forest city on a farm oh what kind of farm was it uh, mostly soybeans, rice, and you know we always had the biggest mosquitoes because we have all those rice levees beside our oh, house. Oh my goodness, stuff, dude! So, yeah, yeah. Um, that brings up so many stories, just farm based. But uh, Lone Oak uh, yeah, was very similar. I mean, I've never seen a windshield look like that. Very during, similar. Um, but also, Uncle Phil grew up on a, on a rice farm. Okay, yeah, and that's what he talks about. I'm right after him. This is making sense. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> sweet. So, what year was this? Eighty seven. What's the official birthday? Two twenty five. Two twenty five eighty seven. Okay, February twenty fifth eighty seven. Um, so the two things I know about West Memphis. One time I broke down in West Memphis in a Bronco two sweet rig. Love that lie rig. About yeah, it. yeah. Eighty eighty eight four wheel drive, automatic. That's where all the problems started. Yes. Uh, but anyway, my transmission went out there, and I totally got ripped off by this dude. And he said he repaired it. <laughs> I wish you knew me at that time. I, I would have hooked yeah. you up. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing, obviously, was West Memphis 3, which my band in college, I, we played a benefit or two you for those did. guys. Yeah, yeah. So that's a really weird thing growing up in West Memphis is you don't have a very good opinion on all that because it was so scary for all the parents. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, you just have these kids who are two or three years older than me disappearing. And so even when we go to church and stuff like – they didn't really want us playing outside and things like that because it was just a couple of years. And, you know, that's actually pretty, pretty soon to when the Baptists started wanting to take down everything that was rated R and everything. But it was just so much pressure yeah. at that time. I can, I can see why they were so scared, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a wild one. Yeah. It's a definite wild one. It, it and is, that's where yeah. three, six mafias, you know, they, they come from there too. So I did not know it was Meth West Memphis. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that. Um, uh, Matt Outlaw, if you're listening, uh, I know you still have my free, the West Memphis three bass drum head and I would like it back at some point. No pressure. Oh, uh, so tell me about growing up in West Memphis beyond the, so let's be stuff. really clear. I did not grow up in okay. West Memphis. Okay. I grew up about 25 minutes, uh, West on the, or on the other side of Crawley's Ridge. Okay. So my grandpa owns a huge 5,000, 6,000 acre farm, um, that, we grew up on, and I think I moved when I was 11. So we moved to Marion at that point, which which is right beside West Memphis. So did you get into that whole farm life when you were a kid? Like You know, we my dad was a computer programmer in Memphis, and so we got trucked to West Memphis every day to go to school. Um, but definitely, those young years, I got picked up every day before I was in kindergarten to go drive a tractor with my grandpa. And so, um, you know, gosh, one of my most favorite stories is he picks me up. He doesn't even tell my mom. He picks me up. I'm, I'm gone. And we drive down the road to a, a sewage ditch like line for the, uh, for the irrigation. And there's this huge hive of hornets. And we're in this tractor cab and he just opens the tractor cab, 12 gauge shotgun, <laughs> blows this hornet's nest to pieces <laughs> 
and just closes it and we drive off. And and I think that's sometimes I have like this weird reality of like, you know, thing people don't do stuff like that that often, but it was like when you're with my grandpa, it's like everyday stuff. And yeah. so I have a million stories like that, but that's, that was growing up like that. And, um, but we got to West Memphis so often because we were, my parents were trying to church us. Yeah. And so we were trying to be in yeah. a youth group and stuff like that because there wasn't a whole lot going on in Blackfish, Arkansas. Blackfish, Arkansas. What yes. an awesome name. Now quickly, I, I swear I do not pay for these, these, uh, advertisements, but you should listen to Uncle Phil's second episode because mm-hmm. he talks about a story about his grandpa in the farm doing some crazy stuff just like you okay. did. I will listen. Same deal. Like just you're just like God. That dude. I mean, he is. <laughs> he's yeah. he's the man. Yeah, I think Phil said he should he could have carved an S on his chest at that point. Like it was just blown blew him away. So, yes. Um, so anyway, and then um, let's see. And then where did you Blackfish, Arkansas? You lived there till Blackfish you were Lake, Arkansas. I lived there till eleven, and then we moved to Marion. So there was a lake there. Yeah, it was. It's a little horseshoe lake um, oh, that probably came off of the Mississippi years ago, and so it's twenty twenty ish miles. But yeah. it used to cover that whole section. This just must have been a deeper part. And so the real cool thing about Blackfish Lake is that's where one of the main duck migration trails is so outside of Stuttgart it's like number two or three so my family also has run some different like duck hunting um stuff like that through the years oh man all right so you leave blackfish at 11 begrudgingly obviously because you're leaving the tractor but there were more girls in marion yes Girls in Marion. Girl, there were girls in okay. Marion. Now that's still close to, to yeah, West about Memphis, 20, right? Yeah, uh, they, they touch each other. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 And so you graduated from high school at Marion. In Marion. Um, oh, let's just. We might as well mention I was number ten out of three hundred. So <laughs> Pe- people right above me went to Harvard. No big deal. <laughs> you know what I was? I, uh, I think I was. 250 out of 468. The fact that I remember is sadder than any other number, okay? (laughs) I don't know. Number 10 is a source of pride, though. That's an easy number to remember, too. I guess. They all did much wonderfully academic things more than me. Now, here's the deal. If Uh you were still wearing your high school class ring right now (laughs) with a big old beer gut like me talking about (laughs) number 10. I still have my golf letterman jacket in my closet somewhere. Oh, I do, too. Um... I don't know when the last time you looked at yours is, but the vinyl sleeves are a little <laughs> Not looking so good. Okay. Yeah, so the chemicals might, are wearing down yeah, at this point. It might be time for a refurb. Okay. Yeah. Which yours is close to my age. Yours is four years younger than mine. Did you, where, where did you meet your wife? Was that All right, so, obviously not in junior high and high school? No. So, man, it's actually a super, super long story, but we met each other at a much later age. Like, weirdly, she went to college with my brother in Jackson, Tennessee. Um, I was at Boy State with her brother. She actually asked to be my Facebook friend in 2005. We've been Facebook friends since 2005 because you you let everyone be your friend at that oh, point, yeah. right? And so never really thought much of it. Uh, so I got I went to Seattle for grad school. I, I was back about a week and a half. I was living at this ministry house in Conway because I didn't have a place yet. And a friend calls me. He's like, hey, I know you just got back from Seattle. We're playing a show at Stickies. We'd really like you to be there. I was like, I don't have a thing to do. I'll be there. So I go and he pushes me into this woman. And he's like, oh, did you go? Have you guys met yet? And I'm like, hey, I'm Matt. And she's like, I think I know you. And I was like, all right. And so that was kind of weird, whatever. So she starts singing the raspiest soulful voice she was in the band in the band what's the name of the band 
It was the John Michael Vance like soul experience or something like that. And she's laying it down. She's on stage. laying it down. She's the only girl on stage with like these ten dudes who are playing horns and all kinds of stuff. Oh, wacky. bro, she had you at Sticky Fingers. At Sticky Fingers with so, all the magical paintings around. Yeah, there you- were so many magical paintings. <laughs> so I'm that weirdo who's you know there's maybe 50 60 people they're actually there to see the band and i'm like leaning on this stool just making the most awkward eye contact yeah. and she was like putting oh. out the vibe she's like looking back and forth like is he looking at me and i'm like i'm three feet from her i mean maybe may a little bit further than that so at the end uh, i actually at halfway through the set i walked up guys i've got i used to have some game okay Let's just be honest. I had some game. I got beautiful eyes. Used to have a huge locks of hair. But I walk up and I said, you want to teach me those moves sometimes? Oh, yeah. And she just laughed out loud and walked away. Dang. So the beauty of Facebook, and now, of course, it's faded. But the beauty of Facebook, I'm driving back to Conway. And she says, so wonderful to meet you. Hopefully we run into each other again. It was the eyes. And the rest is history. How awesome is that? Um, so I'm doing some numbers in my head. 2005, you you probably just started school, undergrad? Undergrad, yeah. Okay. And then you didn't see her until after your graduate. 2012. So, wow. How crazy is that? It's totally weird. Totally awesome. And you know, that's what's funny is, you referenced it a little bit, but Facebook is, when it first started, it was a legitimate way, like as a band to find gigs, but also Absolutely. as a single person to be like, hey, you want to go out sometime? Yes. And it wasn't creepy. It no. was just the norm, right? And <laughs> and I, when, I, when I became single, which you're aware of that, that was probably four or five years ago, six mm-hmm. years ago. I, I thought about, I got on Facebook and I thought, this is not the same platform that it was when I was, luckily I did not send too many messages out. No, but it's because our parents tell. got on there. Oh yeah, dude. That's what <laughs> killed it. Yeah. Yeah. Our parents killed our magic machine. <laughs> they sure did, dude. They sure did. I remember using MySpace to book tours for our band and like literally trying to write the most sarcastic, funny letters to oh, these yeah. bars. And they would read it and we'd get these gigs booked and we'd book these tours off of MySpace. Different time and age. Sure was, man. Even though MySpace is back now. Oh. Yeah. Hello, Tom. But they lost all the uh, audio, all the oh. audio files from any bands that were on there. I had some pretty terrible early recordings sure. of me. And I went to, for nostalgia's sake, somebody said something about a song and I thought, oh, I'm going to see if they're up there. And they lost everybody's stuff. So terrible. When did you know you wanted to uh, get into counseling or, or therapy? Yeah. So um, pretty, pretty tough one. Um, in general, I mean, I've always been a helper. Like I love helping people get out of hard spots. Um and, you know, being the third kid, I was a third of three. Um, I just didn't get listened to as much. So I'm always talking, but not, in, <laughs> but that doesn't mean somebody's listening. <laughs> and so uh, I just found myself with friends and stuff going through hard times and I would be the one they would call. But, you know, I actually was a, I have a digital filmmaking degree. I did not know that. And so I was doing this documentary, uh, meeting all these missionaries around the world that my church supported. And gosh, they were just going through the crap. I mean, through the ringer, this people who are living in Afghanistan, just their friends dying and all kinds of stuff. And so that's the first time I really sat down and said, man, people need somebody. 
Not not just it would be nice to have somebody. People need someone. And so I got to feeling like that and I realized I didn't want to be overseas for, you know, six months at a time. And so uh, when my pastor uh, was going through a hard time, uh, we just continued to talk and talk. And I pushed on him. I was like, I just don't want you to go through this alone. And uh, he looked at me and goes, you know, you're a pretty crappy, normal counselor. I bet if you went to school, you'd be amazing. <laughs> And uh, he sent me to a school where he had some friends who started running it, and uh, it was in Seattle, and uh, pretty life-changing. Wow, man. So you finished in 2012, and then did you start your own practice right out of the gate? I uh, started working at a place to just make some money to make sure I could start the business. And it also really took like six months to get my license from uh, going to school in Seattle to Arkansas. You know some weird paperwork, but pretty quickly within a year, I was up and running. I like really up and running. I'm terrible with the terminology of, of your profession. So I know psychologist is that that's not your technical title or, no. or would it be? No. So there's a licensed psychologist who don't have their doctorate. Those are those are master's levels. And then there are uh, doctors of psychology and then there's psychiatrists who do meds. Right. And then there's us and, sci- and social workers who do talk therapy. But in the state of Arkansas, I am a licensed professional counselor. Okay. Licensed professional counselor. So do you have that? Do you say Matt Spicer LPC? I do not say that, but it says it on my paperwork. You don't have it monogrammed on a shirt or anything? I have some other things monogrammed on shirts. Pajamas? <laughs> The, uh, yeah, yeah, okay. definitely that. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, so if you had to pick, like, uh, I don't know if it would be like a specialty or like, what's your most rewarding type of counseling? Is it marriage counseling or? Yeah, so marriage counseling is definitely the hardest. I've never done anything more difficult than that. Probably women who have never had a voice and they've experienced some sexual trauma. I think being a dude, I have like a, such an awesome opportunity to to give them some words and give them the confidence to kind of take their life back. And uh, if a dude did that thing to them that that made them live so small for so long, why why shouldn't it be a guy who helps them out of it? Yeah. And I feel wow. like such a privilege to be a part of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Um, you know, one of my favorite things that you ever said to me when we first got started was you said, I don't, I don't want you to be in here forever. I want to fix you and get you out of here. And I thought, man, that's just like, that's not, that's not, I don't, I don't know. Cause you're the first counselor I've ever gone to. Uh, but that doesn't seem like a normal response. It seems like you would want to bait somebody in and, and, and have them on the books, you know, hopefully our profession is, is a little bit more <laughs> character driven than that. Yeah, I hope so. We hope so. Yeah. So speaking of relationships between men and women, I'm recently married. You've been married for, when did you guys get married? Oh, we've been married since 2013. So we're coming up on our, I can't do math. Is it eighth or ninth? Eighth. You didn't mess around. 2012. I met her and nine months later, no, nine months later we were engaged. Yeah. What's up? When you know, you know. And did she, she wouldn't let you join the band? You know, I have a pretty decent voice myself, but for some reason, people don't ask me to be part of their bands. Man. Well, I'm in the bands that don't really have just extra singers, you know? Well. Like, we only get paid like 50 bucks to drive eight hours. So. I don't know if I would ask for any money. I just like <laughs> to be on stage and to sing. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. I, I guess when we grew up, I, I, re- I was obsessed with the Beatles. So uh, mm-hmm. I, I loved harmony. And so I would learn every Crossy single Seals, harmony. Young. Oh, That's my yeah, deal. Yeah, man. Yeah. Luckily, my first couple bands, we were all just Beatles nerds. And mm-hmm. I, I tell people, like, we would literally drive to gigs in a van and one of us would have an acoustic, and we would just practice harmonies on the way to the to Yeah, because that's cool. Yeah, it ruled, man. It <laughs> ruled. Absolutely. Um, okay, so you've been married a little while. Mm-hmm. What is one thing that you wish somebody would have told you before you got married? You know, I don't know if anyone did, and I don't even know if my schooling prepared me for this, and I really wish it had. But I wish someone just would have said, man, this girl's going to be your friend. She's going to be your lover. She's going to help you raise kids but she's not going to complete you. And you're not going to be able to, heck, maybe this is the most important one. You're not going to be able to complete her. Yeah. You're not going to be able to love her more than her own creator can love her. And that's going to hurt. Yeah. I think if I would have known that, ooh, those first few years would have been a little smoother. Yeah, I'll give you that. The one that cracks me up is is if you run into like the old dudes are always like, oh, you just need to remember the wife's always right. Happy mm-hmm. life, happy wife. Mm-hmm. But it's so true, dude. There is a lot to There's that. There's a lot of truth to it, yeah. But one thing that I've had, my brother told me this, and actually Phil from work told me this, and it's hard to wrap your head around, but you can't change the way she feels. No. Even if you think it's wrong or you know it's wrong. Or how did she get there? Was it based on a misinterpretation? But the fact is, if she she feels how she feels. She feels how she feels. And and we got to love each other through those misunderstandings. So that's that's a tough one for me. It's a daily struggle. It's a tough one for everyone who I come in contact with. (laughs) Well, good, good. All right. We're on the same boat. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So how many children do you have at this point? Uno. Uno. And... What's the age? Five. Five. How's that going for you? Man, it is a blast. You know, I, I loved having this little cute boy who could, you know, not talk and do everything we asked him to. But uh, I'll give you the most recent story that happened this okay. weekend. Uh, his cousin comes up to him and said, hey, where'd you get that banana? And I was behind him. I said, oh, he, he got out of the garbage. And without a just a blink he goes i eat all the garbage all the time (laughs) and i was like it's like looking in a mirror i didn't teach him how to say that and it's like my sarcasm just lives in his very blood (laughs) uh it's really difficult you know trying to raise a kid in in so many transitions like he hadn't even gotten to take anybody home to to meet us from kindergarten because it has been so weird yeah and so trying to just help him through those things and especially since he doesn't have any siblings now or yet. Um, it, it's really been hard. And I think that the one thing I've been trying to take away from that is, again, I can't complete him. I can't. I mean, I've been trying to think of these like theological things, like help him through. And I just get so frozen. And I just have to remind myself, like, Matt, you are not asked to be perfect. You're just asked to be there. Be there. Be there. And so tonight, perfect example. I'm cooking dinner. And he's like, hey, can you go hit the baseball with me? I'm like, I dude, I have to, like, I got to, you know, bedtime's coming. I got to go somewhere. He's like, can you just play baseball? And I was like, absolutely I will. Yeah. But that's the deal. Like, you know, is it better to prepare your children or, or, or to enjoy them? And I really feel like I struggle to always prepare. Man, if God enjoys me, if I enjoy you, Bear, we're going to have a great time. Yeah. If you enjoy me, I'm going to trust you. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. I need to learn that with my kid, man, and just enjoy him like like the people who love me enjoy me. Yeah. 
Yeah. One question I have for you, because you, you just said something about it. Obviously, Jessica and I are at a point. We, we have a fresh nephew. That dude mm-hmm. is adorable. Hormones uh, are coming. Oh, man. He's so cool. Mm-hmm. He's just um, I, he maybe like four months old or something. Yeah, it's awesome. But uh, anyway, obviously, that's on the topic of conversation. But the, the big thing for us is, like you said, this is a messed up world we're living in right now with the COVID. And, mm-hmm. and it's hard to imagine bringing a child into the world right now. But the other thing is... I know that you probably heard half the people said, yeah, just have the one child. And half the people said, you need to have another child. for So he's got somebody to play 99% with. Had said had to have another child. Yeah. How do you feel about only having the one child? There is some doubt. But man, like my own personal beliefs, and I hope they become sort of his, is, man, your brothers and sisters are whoever you make them. Yeah. And I love my brothers. But man, we live far, you know, you live far apart from yours. Like yeah. I, I live far apart from mine at times. and. Man, your family's where you make it. And if you really are intimate and you care about each other, like your family can be anywhere. And that might just me be trying to convince myself <laughs> that my decision's right. And I'll defend that for yeah, a while. I respect that. I think but, that's uh, good. But yeah, it's 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 not always it's not always simple for sure. Well, that's cool, man. I I've, I I didn't realize that you had just the one boy and that he was five years old. And I, I at this point, you know, I'm I'm hitting thirty. I'll be thirty eight this year. Mm-hmm. And it's like, man, it's thinking of having one is it's already getting pretty late, but two would be a whole different ballgame. It ball would game, be a you know? ballgame, man. But that would give me the opportunity to buy a four-seat UTV, which would be sweet. <laughs> I'm in. Yeah. And then it's a necessity. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be my motivation. Back to your profession. How much of what you do on a daily basis is instinctual versus versus a playbook that you were handed or taught or collected over the years? Yeah, so I, I really got to thinking about that question, and, and my, my gut reaction was like, oh, it's all instinctual. But, you know, I went through two – like I was my program was supposed to be three years long. I knocked it out in two because I just wanted to come back home to Arkansas. What's up? And um, I think, man, like sometimes I probably downplay the training, and I often forget my training at times, and I have to get back on the tracks. But I would say if you're good at it, it's an art. I'm not going to say I'm the best, but I, I play my part. Um, people usually know they're loved. They don't have to wonder what I'm thinking. If if And, and, and it really is a relational thing. Like, I, I'm not this computer that computes a perfect answer. I, I'm a presence in pain. I'm a, I'm a presence in, in those difficult dynamics. Like some people can't be, can't be given constructive criticism. Some people, uh, they only want to please you. And gosh, there's those people come in, only want to please me. And sometimes I just want to make them mad. So they'll fight with me <laughs> yeah. so that they can learn that they have this voice and they, they can, they can be an equal partner in a relationship. And so I would say the good ones, they've got it down to an art. And yeah, I'm sure all, all those techniques and stuff, they're your underpinning, your foundation. But man, if you just love being with people, it's not a thing. It's fun. Like, yeah. And I have hard days. Like I had one last week. But if you love people and you're looking to find that goodness and pull it out of them, then it's it's a huge opportunity. That I, I guess most people, it must be a calling because it does feel kind of silly. Why would you walk through people's crap with them all day? But there's so much good that I, I wouldn't take it back. 
Yeah, I can't imagine. I bet the the brownie points from your your job are un, in, unbelievable. And I think probably like to relate to kind of music again with playbook versus instinctual. Like as a drummer and as a musician, like um, I tell people all the time, like the, the reason you learn all those hot licks and all this these fast grooves and all this stuff is really only so you can put it in the back of your brain, remember it's there. And when the absolute perfect time mm-hmm. comes for you to use that lick, it's there for you. Yeah. So, yeah, that's with techniques and all kinds of stuff like that. Um, but honestly, more than anything, I quote music and movies. Yeah. It probably goes in this order. Movies, Bible, music. <laughs> that's what I end up talking about most of the time. Because we all we all connect on, on, on a lot of that stuff. And it's a universal language. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of movies, there's a quote that I want to end that I wanted to interject into this podcast. And if we have the time to edit it, then when I say I ain't got no demons going to get woke, <laughs> then it should be there. But I wanted to use that for our therapy podcast. <laughs> So let's see if it gets edited. All right. Um, and then, you know, so I had one more question is like, I teach music lessons, not as much these days as I used to, but if I could tell every student one thing a thousand times uh, on guitar, it would be learn to read music and learn your E major scale chords at least. Sure. It'll change your game. <clears throat> and so if you could tell every single person that comes into your office on a daily basis, if there's one thing that you just want to scream at every one of them, what do you think it would be? Ooh. I threw you in the hot pot on this one. I don't know if I can answer it in one. I can answer it in two probably. Okay. I'll take two. So one is know your story. I mean, it's like that whole thing from history. If if you don't know history, you're bound to repeat it. And it, it is the exact same things. I was actually talking to someone the other day that they quote, one of my clients quoted that most of us uh, think, okay, my parents didn't do this right. I'm going to do it different. But all you do is do that thing harder to your kids because you're so <laughs> frustrated that it becomes so natural. And probably the other thing is just keep walking. Like Man, put those pants progress. on, get up, pour your coffee, put your shoes on the floor. Put them on, get up, say hello to everybody, go to work, and a lot of stuff will just fall off your back. Yeah. But that takes discipline, and that takes a lot of things that those people who are really down a lot of the time, that's just, it, they get in that hole, man. Yeah. And, and that's why they end up coming to me. But that, but for just for everybody else, even when we're talking about the COVID stuff, is just continue to do something. Dirty. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll get to that other stuff later. Well, but you know what? I mean, coming from being somebody who was in that, that deep state of depression, I'm a 285-pound man. And some mornings I would wake up and feel like I was 800 pounds. Mm-hmm. And the weight of my, my just depression was so mm-hmm. heavy that I couldn't even get out of bed. But... If anybody's listening that is that way, I promise once you put that first foot on the ground and stand up, you'll be surprised. You're just a 285-pound mm-hmm. man. Yeah. Hopefully, you don't weigh 285. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was so difficult. And mm-hmm. the same thing, like, you know, coming home from work, like, you just feel like, oh, my goodness, I feel all 800 pounds on me. I'm just going to shut the lights off and yep. lay down. But just stand up, even if you got to mm-hmm. lean. And then the other thing that I tell my employees, sim- very similar to what you say, is, man, just – Forward progress. You're not going to come in every day and make a mile's worth of progress. No. But if you can come in and make even 10 yards, then awesome. that's fine with me. At least we made it somewhere better than where we are right yes. now. So, uh, man, that was. I'm happy that we did that. You know what? It's time to move on to uh, outlanding and cooking. You got it. All right, buddy. 
Um, so, you know what? Actually, I'm going to skip to something I wanted to say at the end, but I hope that you want to come back and, and maybe we can visit some other topics that people if might pose. If my wife lets so, me come back, I'll be here. If your wife will let you listen. And I'm very sorry for saying that, honey. I love you. Yeah. You sound like an awesome woman. Uh, you, you're wearing a rock and roll band, so that's going to give that's you street really cred cool. around this podcast. So, uh, please let him come back. All right. Are you ready? As well for some as I can be. Questions? Yes. I've heard you grill quite a bit. Yes. Is that a false? I probably do equal kitchen cooking too. Okay. Are you a nerd about grilling? When it comes to slow barbecue butts, yes. You just name your grill. Just do it. Uh, Kamado. I'm a Kamado smoker. Man, they're so efficient. Like, there's so many things in my world that are not efficient. <laughs> I can put a handful of chips or ch- uh, lump charcoal into my Kamado, and I have an off-brand. And at the end of my 20-hour cook, there will still be a fourth of the chips in there. Wow. That is efficient. That's efficient. So, obviously, PK Grill user. I probably said it three times already. Absolutely. Um, I thought that was an efficient grill. And I'll tell you, so last night, um, I fired up the grill, full chimney of charcoal, probably about eight, eight o'clock by eight 30. The grill was at three fifty. Mm-hmm. I went out to let the dogs out for their final bathroom break about 1130, stayed up too late mm-hmm. watching Vikings or something else. It's ridiculous. And it was still at three fifty. So that's awesome. That thing will do the same thing, but not to that level. I mean, that's unbelievable. It's just, it's just the, it's, it's because it's smaller, it's well sealed and you only have two very specific or two very narrow airflow systems. And if you can, if you can get your heat right at the very beginning, you set those jokers right. I mean, I think I've done a 26er before. Whoa. Now, I don't know if anything really needs to be smoked at 26 after 26 hours, but I did it. (laughs) So there's this barbecue guy. Well, he, he bought a giant smoker. He's pulling it with an old beat up Yukon and he parked it by the abandoned church's chicken Mm -hmm. yesterday. And you could just see that old dirty smoke pouring out of the top of that thing. <laughs> but for some reason, my eyes were blinded by the color of the smoke. And I just thought, you know what, man? I'll taste somebody's barbecue on, the, Why not? on my lunch. It's better than Arby's or whatever. Sure. And so he had a brisket plate, which was 10 bucks. And Alex, one of my guys that works with me, he goes, he goes, well, that should have told you right there that it was only 10 bucks <laughs> for a brisket plate. <laughs> so anyway, he cut a big old slab of that brisket. And, and I got in the car and... Got to my, sometimes I'll park over on, uh, over off the of lower Ridge road. Yeah. There's a park. I like to eat out there Don't sometimes. Know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And so I opened this thing up and the, he didn't cut the fat cap or trim it oh. at all. And it was so much fat on top of it. And I just thought, well, I'll cut that off, you know? So I did like, it didn't give me a knife, but that's cool. I had the old, uh, Kershaw ready to <laughs> I'm go. I'm involved. Sharpened I up. ADC you know? baby. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> so I busted out the Kershaw, sliced me off some brisket and it was so tough and so smoky. I, I that's smoke repeated on me literally the whole day like 10 hours i could just sure it was miserable so what did you smoke for 26 hours three butts i put three 10 pounders on my little kamado wow i mean i fed almost 40 people and so how what's do you know the circumference of your kamado i don't we can add this in in is it like the size of a snare drum i'd say it's that size of a big floor tom yeah okay 18 inches no smaller than that we're going to need you to send a model number. I'll for the send links. a model number. It will be very okay. accurate at that point. Fine. Do you do you cook with charcoal a lot or is it mainly chips you're cooking with? No, sorry. It is lump charcoal. 
Oh, that's yeah. what I do all the time. And I use those huge chunks of apple and cherry for my butts. Is there a certain brand of charcoal you use? Um, that Royal Oak. Royal Oak. And sometimes I use that cowboy brand, whatever that's called. It's like a tan package. It's pretty good, too. Hmm. Hmm. Um, okay. Quick pause. I need a beer. Do you need a beer? Yep. Will you pull, just gently tug on that quilt, and it should drop right in front of that window? Just like that. I think that's that's a very old quilt. I mean, I think it's over 100 years old. Yeah, and, it's and really it was old. barely hanging in there, but I thought, man, it'd be perfect sound barrier. Absolutely. For that this room is great. Thank you. I mean, your sound, your sound quality is really good. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, so I... I bought this building from Dirksen, and I, I kind of specified where everything was. They delivered it when I lived in Cabot, and I had them. Um, I did all the inside myself, so I did all the electrical. It's double drywalled in here, mm-hmm. so it's like a proper studio, um, and it, it's cool, man. I really enjoy it. It's small, but I built it knowing that I wasn't going to be recording a band in here. It was just me recording myself. Well, so. it absorbs so well. Yeah, I love it, man. I really do. I, I just noticed your Weezer. That's old school Weezer right there, dude. That is awesome. What he's referring to is a three foot by three foot Weezer banner. I think there's a copyright date on there, but it's it's mid nineties. It's the real deal. Ninety five. 95. That yeah. is. I was singing that song along with my hymn. I was singing uh, the sweater song yeah, right dude. after that when I would sing my hymns at church. And I'd come home and sing a little bit of Nirvana, a little bit of Weezer, you know, just to keep things level. Now, quick uh, Weezer story. Uh, my first tattoo, I wanted to be the Weezer W. I was that passionate about sure. that band. 2002. And Dr. Blake Tyson, the man I admire and respect greatly told me I was in his percussion studio. He said, I was known as Brandon at this time, so I'm just going to use my real name. He said, Brandon, you may regret getting a Weezer tattoo if one of them like commits murder or something, and you've got that all over your arm. And I thought, you know what? That's a, that's a fairly logical approach. How do you approach. feel now? Well, let me, uh, let me just keep going here, and you're going to find out. So that was 2002. My roommate that year in college was Brandon Pulliam. Yes, I know Brandon Pulliam. Covered from head to toe. Uh-huh. Yeah. So... He was not at the time. Freshman college year, he did not have a tattoo on him. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he comes maybe by the store on Hark Rider. And we were talking about that. And he said, Man, did you ever get your Weezer tattoo? And I told him the story about Blake. And he goes, No, man. He goes, We're getting that Weezer tattoo. And he goes, My buddy owns, uh, I think it was Golden Lotus or something mm-hmm. in Sherwood. Sorry, that's terrible. I'll figure it out. Um, and he goes, he goes, meet me there. We're getting that Weezer tattoo. So I went and I got that sucker right in the ditch. And so I, <laughs> after all those years, I finally have the Weezer I tattoo. I love that so yeah. much. Yeah. So, uh, so back to the grilling. You use a, you said it's an off brand. What, what's the off brand? Char Griller. Okay. Acorn. I saw that and I thought, I wonder, is it so? It's it's. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Not cement. It's um, it's steel. It's steel, but the Kamado is what? It's the Kamado's. No, the green eggs are ceramic. Okay. But, but the a Kamado Kama- is steel. Com- well, no. Kamado is just the shape and the venting style. Oh. And it's, it's, and it's insulated. So it's double steel insulated. And the, that's why the ceramic is so awesome because it holds in heat where you don't have to do anything. They're, they're magical. So Kamado is not related to the material it's made of. It's just the shape Style, and the vent. All that stuff. I think that cleared up a lot for me. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> if you had to pick long or short smokes, which one do you like I am better? an inappropriately slow smoker. That doesn't stress you out, like going to bed with the smoker rolling? and 
So you just for stay a up long for 26 time, hours, just for a long time, monster energy drinks, I would do things like I would have those Bluetooth uh, thermometers, thermometers stuff that would go off. But then I stumbled upon something. Talk it is me. called, it was called the barbecue guru. You aware of this thing? Is it, does it regulate the temperature yes. of your grill through airflow? Yes. Uh, I've heard of it. So for about three years now, I can start it at seven or eight. And it keeps it at 225 all night long. So when I wake up at 7 or 8 on a Sunday, Saturday morning, boom, baby. It's still there and you're done. So if I time it well, depending on the size of meat and what it is, you're good to go. But man, like when I say inappropriate, like I'm talking about things like pork loins. (laughs) People grill those things. I want mine floppy. (laughs) And it is that, that real juice in there. It, it it just tells me you did a great job, Matt. Yeah, man. So, yeah, I mean, even like turkey breasts. I mean, I do things as low and slow as possible all the time. But my timing has just gotten better and better, so it's never that big of a deal. So how much of your uh, 26 hours, do you know what temperature that was at when you did that? I mean, it was anywhere from probably 205 to 250. Okay. How much of that do you attribute to the barbecue guru versus the Kamado? Did you have that at the time? I didn't. I did have it at that time because I was because I was just trying to see as long as I could go, and those those butts were so big it did really did take a long time to get there. But really, that that Kamado, that cheap Kamado, like off brand Kamado, really was doing ten hour cooks no problem. Yeah, and really keeping it in a pretty good pretty good zone. Now I do like the PK. You can set up a snake in that sucker, and it'll go ten twelve hours or sure. twenty five. And I love doing that. It's one of my favorite things to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, tri-tip is probably my favorite cut to just smoke as long as you can get away with. So I just haven't gotten as adventuresome in those things. I I grew up so close to Memphis that it's pulled pork. And I want to be, I want people to walk in my house and go, that was really great. Not, hey, thanks for cooking dinner. No, that was really good. Yeah. It wasn't too smoky. It fell apart. And I've never quite had an experience like that. Okay. Well, then let, if you're going to come in with that kind of heat. I will bring lunch for you guys at Preston sometime. Well, that's incredible. That's not what I was going to ask you. No, that would be cool. That would be that would be super cool. My question for you is, how much of this technique are you willing to give away on this microphone right now? Obviously, you're wrapping it I at do, the stall. I don't current. No. Uh-oh. See, I already so, messed up. Here's right, the deal. I'm like... It's called the Texas cheat for a reason. Okay. <laughs> I don't cheat. This is a real game that I'm going to win playing the rules. Okay. And that really means you have to do a good enough job of regulating your temperature where you do not dry it out. And and that may mean you have some apple cider vinegar under. It may you it may, it may mean you go spray apple cider vinegar halfway through, especially during the stall process. I do not I do not mess with that aluminum full stuff. So, but you do spray at, just at the stall? If it's, if I know it's going to be particularly long, but you, I mean, if it's a butt, like there's so much fat on those jokers. If, if you're, if you're, if you're steady, if you're not getting too high, you're going to be fine. So then you're putting, when you're putting it in a bath of apple cider vinegar, what are you putting that in? Not an aluminum pan then? No, I'll put aluminum pan on the, oh, okay. uh, on you the smoking stone okay. under and, and it, and it, it may steam to some degree, but I'm just trying to get, because it is again, so insulated that moisture will just continue. It's almost like a convection oven. It's really, really efficient. So I, I want to, I want to turn left for a second. Let's do it. So you, you've, you've really focused in on smoking here. When I would say my first love was sushi. 
So you you can make sushi. So I love making sushi. It's about an hour long process. Wow. I, I've probably only done it for me and my wife maybe 10 to 12 times. But any chance someone's like, hey, Matt. Will you make your pad thai or your sushi tonight? I'm like, well, let's go sushi. I mean, it's kind of the best. (laughs) And just, man, learning those slow processes. And I think that's the thing. My life is so unpredictable, hour by hour. Sushi is an, I mean, you do the same thing every time. Everything's cut out and organized, almost like I'm taking an Instagram photo before. Like, I want it to look like everyone's going to come and look at it before I make it. Yeah. And so I've just gotten better and better. My rolls are tighter. My my rice is juicier. My my fish, I don't have to overwhelm things with as much sauce anything anymore. Like I, I love it. But I probably equally love smoking that big butt. Uh, smoking that big old butt. Now, um, what's your what's your best roll that you make? Spicy tuna. It's my favorite roll. Well, you're welcome. Hands down, dude. I, I think the funny thing is I've been to Japan a few times, and none of the weird rolls that people think exist. No, they exist don't exist. They're there. so simple Yeah, there. it's very simply done over there, yeah. Uh-huh. But yeah, man, spicy tuna. Okay. I'm Sweet. American, buddy. Yeah, yeah. I get it, man. I get it. So you cook. You said you cook equally in the kitchen as yeah, you do. Yeah, my wife the- has really started to cook more, but for years I've been the cook of the house everywhere I've lived. It's the so, same here. Yeah. yeah, and I love it. I get into it. And I even put on here, we were going to get a little nerdy. So are, are you nerdy about your cooking gear to an extent? To an extent, yes. So let's talk about your knives. So I have three different Santokus. Okay. Um, also along with my Asian theme here. Yeah. Yeah. I like a Santoku. Um, I really like, uh, that it's curved even at the top to some degree. Um, it really makes me feel like I can get an edge quicker. And so when I'm doing those vegetables and stuff for sushi, like I like, I like to be able to get that edge tight and move it through. And I, I just feel like they're balanced. I don't know. I don't know if I've just actually spent some money on some decent knives or not, but I love them. Um, when it comes to, most anything that I really want to be proud of, I use a stainless steel wok. I don't care what it is. Oh, cool. Yeah. And and if it's more traditional, I'm going to use my big lodge uh, cast iron. Oh, yeah, boy. Vintage lodge or, or newer lodge? I've got both. All right, cool. I have uh, recently gotten into the cast iron game. <laughs> cast iron market. Here we go. Well, so here's the deal is that I wouldn't be into that market if the non-disposable, like high-end chefs' pots and pans were not out of reach. Worth a million dollars. But they're so expensive. Yes. Stainless steel pots and pans are outrageous. And anything that's coated, is a, is, as much as I cook, is a three-year pot or a skillet especially. I'll wear those yeah. things out. So I recently got into the cast iron game, and I've always had um, an enameled cast iron Dutch oven. I've had mm-hmm. a Le Creuset for a yeah. while. Um, but I recently got a vintage Wagner. And I love that thing. Man, it's a game changer. It really is. It really is. Just the the fact that your food does not have, it doesn't leave the crust in the pan and that you're not ruining your pan if you actually cook something good. Yeah. And Well, then, and very lastly, and I don't know what you think about this type of thing, but I feel like it's inappropriate for me to show up to dinner without a homemade sauce. Oh, so <laughs> I don't eat a lot of sauce with my food, oh. but- 
Again, my, I'm Mar- I'm American, right? Yeah. My Let's wife, have a sauce. My wife likes a sauce. And yeah. so And that's 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 not a rated R comment. That's a <laughs> This is the facts. <laughs> yeah. So uh weirdly enough, uh, one of my friends said a couple years ago, he's like, Hey, if you and your wife pass away, do you think we could just split up all the condiments in your fridge and we could all live <laughs> for like four or five years? Um I I really grew up cooking because my mom wasn't feeling well. And if she wasn't feeling well, that means we didn't go to the store. So I was like, I got to pull out something out of this uh, pantry and we're going to make something happen. And so I love just take, I mean, I have probably 20 Asian type of things. I have literally probably have 35 hot sauces in, in my closet. Wow. And so from all the, you know, the mayos, the aiolis, all that stuff, like I just love even, and I've made some mistakes. Don't get me wrong, but I feel like it's, you know, like you go to someone's house, you're supposed to bring something. I bring the sauce. Wow, that's impressive. So I should backtrack. I do love hot sauce, and I have a lot of different ones. And I feel like I do have a good taste for what belongs on what food. But I don't make aiolis as much as I love that stuff. Um, But I've recently fallen in love with, like, uh, cocktail sauce, which I used to not really care that much for that stuff. It's awesome. I know, especially when it's spicy, dude. And, you know, just something, everyone, just hear me out. Play with some balsamic vinegar, okay? (laughs) <laughs> if you want to up your game just start messing around with that see see what you like see what you don't like and, and i think you're going to come up with something you you, you won't regret <laughs> okay play with some balsamic why not vinegar. baby I'm, I'm with you dude um you know what i will say this about going back to the cast iron real quick i think the biggest thing that intimidated me was i tried it when i was young and I didn't clean it immediately. And mm-hmm. to clean a cast iron when it's cold is the most miserable thing in the world. Mm-hmm. But for any of you folks that are getting into cast iron, first of all, I would say sand the bottom of that old, that new cast iron and get it a little smoother than what this stuff that they're making mm-hmm. these days is. Because it's rough as 80 grit on the bottom of that. But you can literally take sandpaper, mm-hmm. smooth that out, re-season the cast iron, and then you're good to go. Yep. But when you're cooking with that cast iron, as soon as you get that food out of that pot, Put it under some hot water, mm-hmm. and that that food, whatever is in there, will fall right out of that pan. And you need to go to Academy or wherever, and they sell the two-piece lodge scraper set. Yep. And this is not an endorsement. Uh, but, but it should be. You, it should be, but you need to go get them, babies, because they're like three or four bucks. They're going to save, and, and they're gonna save game your tail changer, every dude. time. Yeah. You, they even have the, the ones that are for their proprietary griddles. So, yeah, go get those scrapers. Clean it when it's hot. Remember to oil it. Don't use a paper towel to oil it. And, man, that thing. I'm in love. I really am. Let's see. So you use Santokus. I have the two Santokus that I use quite a bit, and those are older forged knives. Talked about cast iron, which I'm pumped that you use that. What's the one food you couldn't live without? Spicy tuna. Yeah, dude. So every time I have started like a new community of people, sushi has always been that like unique thing. When I was in college, like I would start making teriyaki chicken and macaroni and cheese, a little bit of teriyaki and macaroni oh, and cheese. That's easy. the way to go, by the way. Um, so I started doing that in college and I would just start gathering my friends once I I graduated a little bit earlier and everybody else. So I was just like, how can I continue to stay connected? And I was like, food, food, food. And when I started working and my friends were getting all connected, food, food, food is always sushi every chance I could get. Yeah, I think I think spicy tuna holds a very uh 
proverbial uh, sense of connection for me, and I, I don't want to be without it. Well, that's convenient because I, obviously I call it what, what I call it is my stranded island food, which you didn't. That term wasn't hip. You weren't hip to that term. Yeah, sure. But that's convenient if you're on a stranded island and or stranded on an island and you like spicy tuna. And I might as well. I and I really like all that stuff raw too. So yeah, I, I'm good to perfect. go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. As long as you got a pocket knife on you, so, I do. Hey. Okay. What do we got? Let me see this thing. I can't it's my SOG Tonto. Oh, I've got a really sweet. Uh, is it SOG or is it Sog? I don't know. Who knows how to say anything? Is it Flash is it Bone of Is it Bone Iver? Is it Avid Brothers? Is it Avid Brothers? I can't tell you. <sighs> I love Bone Bone Iver. <laughs> But there's that double kick drum in one of those songs at the very beginning where it's like, and I just think that's that's a weird part for me to hear with his music. Oh yeah, as much as I love that dude, is it is he Bonavere or is are they Bonavere? His name is Justin something. Okay, so I'm pretty sure it's a they are. Justin, if you're listening, the kick drum's weird, but I like the rest. Justin Iver or whatever your name is. Yeah, <laughs> Justin Bon Iver. <laughs> Oh, now it's time to move on. We're going to get into some overlanding, outlanding, <clears throat> outlandish overlanding. So let's ju- I need I need to make this prefer- preface because I'm really afraid that there's some bros that are going to come after Well, me. so let me say this, though, because I just saw your rig pull up. Uh-huh. We ain't talking this, you know, skyjacked rig out here with 10 gas tanks on the side of it and a 5 million pound winch on the front. It's just you got a really good looking Tacoma. You got a bed tent on the top of it out there, it looks like. Got some rock sliders. Okay. I did notice that you have a full-size spare, mm-hmm. and I noticed that you do have a gas tank in the back of your truck. And I have a full-size uh, farm jack in the back. Okay. Perfect. So, let's go back to this now. What year is your truck? 17. 17. And what's that color called? Desert sand. Desert sand. It's a killer looking truck. I've ne- I've never gotten more compliments on anything in my life than this truck. <laughs> yeah, she's fine. And really, I remember when you bought that, very few people had that color mm-hmm. when you first got it. Oh, yeah. It's a little more popular now. But um, okay, so well, let's just put me in this situation. I have mm-hmm. a four-wheel drive vehicle out sure. there. I want to go overlanding. What's sure. the what are the three things that I'm going to need right out of the gate? So even with your truck, if it's full size, it's going to limit you so much because those trails that we get into are super narrow. And so unless you want to get the mess scrapped, uh, scratched out of your truck, like okay, let's switch trucks. Chevy Love four wheel drive, Love smaller. Chevy Love, you need some decent tires. All terrains? Can you get away with all terrains, or do they need to be mud? Trains? No, mine are all terrains still. I'm I'm about to upgrade just because it's time. But okay, um, I've done some amazing stuff in it. Um, actually, so I got the general grabbers. We're good to go oh, on the yeah. all terrains. Let's be let's be real clear here. Oh yeah, perfect. I wrote it down. Water, food, and fire, baby. That's Water, it. Food and fire. Because okay. I've seen some Ford Rangers out there, and as long as you have the clearance, which most trucks do, if you know how to drive on a trail, it's scary. But you can make it. So my tires are threadbare right now. I'm way, I'm actually doing a three inch lift just because I want to put bigger tires because I want I'd love another two to three inches of clearance. Make me feel a little bit more invincible. Oh, yeah. And uh, I went out. So my friend called me uh, yesterday morning. It was like, hey, want to watch the sun, sunset. Would love it if y'all come with us. And I was like, dude, I told you, like, my tires, like, I'm just waiting, like, two more weeks so I can get everything bigger and better. And he's like, no, man, uh, I'm going to take the easy way out there. So we get halfway out there, and he has no idea where he's going. You're welcome, Ron. <laughs> and and we get up to this trail, and it's pretty rough. Maybe the roughest thing I've done yet. 
And I was like, dude, he's like, well, we're kind of, we got to go this way and we're not going to make it there for sunset. And I was like, I mean, I mean, I'm here now, so we got to figure it out. And just performed so well, especially if you have someone guiding you and stuff like that. But but when it, when it comes to overlanding, you're really talking about the whole day experience and, and water, food and fire are a must. And so outside of your truck, you know, of course you want an extra tire and stuff like that, but it does not have to be this glamorous thing that so many people, and and if it's, if it's your deal, it's your deal, go all out. But I've really taken my time uh, doing this and I'm not a professional overlander or anything. Is that a term, a professional overlander? Uh, there, I mean, there's all the dudes out YouTubing and, and doing amazing stuff oh, and spending I guess, a yeah, lot by loose definition of, of the term. Okay, yeah. Okay. I mean, there's people who are downsizing the little bitty tiny houses so they can afford to do all and just be gone Thursday to Sunday. That'd be so sweet. I mean, it's cool. It would be. And so um, I got really interested because, you know, beginning of COVID and everything, I was like, man, we have to find a way to be outside more. We have to do this. And um, my wife doesn't love my deer camp, so we had to find a different way. (laughs) And so we were looking at campers and stuff. And one of my buddies started doing this. And I was like, if you promise that you're going to continue to do this with your kids, like, I've really wanted to spend more time with you anyways. Let's do this. Let's raise our kids doing this. And he's like, I'm in. I said, then you're going to help me. Let's do this. And so, man, I just, I can think of all those times, you know, we're talking about raising kids earlier during this time. Like, dude, during COVID, my wife was working. I was working. What, what, what do you think my kids are doing when, when school wasn't in yet? Yeah. I can't he's watching TV, imagine. dude. Yeah. He's, he's looking at all the stupid stuff that, and he doesn't have our attention. And so almost every time we go out, he's like, Hey, can I watch my iPad? And I'm like, no dude, like just look out the window. And he's like, you know, he's whining, just wants to be back at home. But within five minutes of getting there, he turns back into a kid. And I think if, if we can offer our kids anything, it's that opportunity that a lot of us had being dropped off at grandparents' house going like, figure it out yeah. <laughs> and really just kind of return to, to learn how to play and stuff like that. And so, I man, I love it for that, yeah, fa- for that for that fact. So do you go out, the three of you, or just just you and the boy? So I, we were, one of your questions was, what was my favorite trip? Yeah. Um, and my favorite trip was, was like two days before Christmas. My wife sings for church, so we weren't going Christmas anywhere early before Christmas Eve. And I was like, you know what? It's going to be 17 degrees. Let's do it. Let's do it. We're going to do it. And I got this cool thing in my tent that'll keep us warm. We got out there and it was quiet and there was nobody. I mean, there was no one out there. Just no, we're out in the middle of Washtenaw National Forest. I mean, no phone service, no deal. And I just remember that was the first time I could just genuinely say that we connected because we loved each other and we were there, not because it was convenient. Wow. It was awesome. And I won't take that back. And I hope to do it more and more and more. And, and even if it's not overland, I'm hoping that I just stay connected to yeah. outside and, and, and remind my kid that man, God's given us so much. Why do we have to keep filling our minds and, and eyes with everything else? Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, we have, I mean, obviously we pull a very small camper. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the details on the, the even the brand right now. That's that's wild. Oh, uh, po- there's man, a bear paw on it. It's a polar bear camper, but I can't remember the company that makes it. I'll put it in the links. They're incredible. <laughs> uh, but anyway, we, we pull a very small little 10-foot, basically stand-up teardrop, no bathroom on board or anything. But I told my wife, I said, if you think that, that a campsite is enjoyable, Wait until we get off grid with this thing, and and all that's around yeah. is you, the stars, and the animals making noise around you. Mm-hmm. And that's really where I want to be. I strive to get to that place because oh, yeah, my man. life is so hectic, 
and even around here, it, when I come home, it's not as relaxing as it may be as for you, you as a guest to pull up. Yes, you know? it was beautiful, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you know, you walk up, you want to pee immediately because the creek's <laughs> running, you know. There's a beautiful field, but it takes a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And so there's always something always to do. Something. I'm always feeling guilty that I'm not doing something. And so those times when I get out, and I actually said this on the first podcast because we did it by the fire out here. I said, when I get to stare into a fire like that, my brain shuts off. It's like a whole other fun. It's it's almost like whatever that stage of sleep is between deep sleep. Sure. And deep, like, it's right there, baby. I, I just, I, my whole body just relaxes. And so I strive to get to that more. Yeah. Um, so uh, let's dig into this. And we're quickly running out of time. This is what happens, folks, when you talk to people that rule water, food, and fire. So you keep some some water on board? Yeah, so I have like a six or seven gallon water jug. I have a Coleman stove and uh, a small off-brand lodge, um, cast iron. Um, That's what I do most everything in. Then I go really cheap and get the fire starter bricks that you can break in half and start. (laughs) But I have, I actually have uh, tried to start some fires with my son, some old school ways, and that's been a lot of fun. And I'm going to continue. It is a lot of fun. Uh, I would say this year is the first year that I've actually wrapped my head around like a consistent process for starting a fire, even with wet wood. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a game changer when you just know, like, this is how I'm going to do it every Mm -hmm. single time. But uh, if you haven't used fat wood, you should get some fat wood. I, I probably will. But I've been doing a lot. Of, I have an, I bought an electric chainsaw. Oh, and I right. love taking that thing because it'll have enough batteries that I can clear big logs from the road. Yeah, and go find a dead tree, cut it in half, and throw it on the fire. Uh, what brand and voltage? This is the Ego. So it's probably forty volt. I think it's. The, I think those are big boys. I think it is forty or it may be even fifty because it's the same one that goes on my mower. So I can use it on that yeah. too. Okay. And um, do you know how long the bar is on that guy? Is it a little uh, bar? It's Probably a little, 12 it's a little or 14 bar. I think maybe? it's 12. And you take that with you camping? Yeah. Oh, awesome. that's sweet. Yeah, yeah. I bet. Yeah. So we talked about chainsaws last podcast, actually. But, okay. I mean, that's the only one I haven't listened to yet. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, I just bought a new... Uh, I don't know if I said this on the podcast last time, but I, I, here we go. We're about to announce it. I had an MS-170 and an mm-hmm. MS-180 mini farm boss. The mini farm boss has been acting up for the past few years. I have a hard and fast rule when you're out here clearing anyway, not what mm-hmm. you're doing, that if you're going to have one saw, you need to have a second one to get you sure. out of binds. And so I told my wife, like, rather than spend the money to fix this 180, it's like, it's a, literally a 15-year-old saw. Mm-hmm. I said, I think I'm going to buy a big boy. So after much deliberation, I bought, not as big as I could get, but I bought the full-size uh, MS-1 or MS-271 Farm Boss. Is that 27 inches it's long? It's 20-inch bar. Oh, my gosh. That's still um, long. Yeah. And I was going to get a 391, and I went, which would have handled a 25-inch mm-hmm. bar. And A, my buddy John said, dude, that's a bigger saw than you think. Come play with mine. You're going to realize that that's not an everyday saw. You ain't saw. as big of a boy as you think you are. Well, it ain't about that now, buddy. It's about just, you know, every day out here, just everyday use, you don't need to carry mm-hmm. a motor that'll run a 25-inch bar. So I went and looked at him, and I decided that was probably a little too huge for practical use. So I went with the farm boss. I'm excited. She's got zero miles on her. Let's I've never, every, every saw I've had has been a hand-me-down, which I've cherished and taken care of, but this one's fresh. Two-year <laughs> warranty baby go Love see greenway it. yeah they gave that warranty away like it was candy <laughs> oh what what do you use uh for lantern-esque 
items? Do you, do you keep like some modern flashlight stuff? Yeah, so I have two modern flashlights, two headlamps that I just throw in there. My kid really likes to run around with a headlamp because he's my uh, stick gatherer. And yeah, um, But no, I have these really great Amazon LED from China, these little AAA batteries, three AAA batteries, one that run this little light bulb looking thing. It's soft white light and it will run for like 30 hours. Wow. And so I only run them when we're doing important things. I turn them off because it's great to be out in the dark anyways. It sure is. And so I've literally have like three or four that still haven't died. And then I actually hang those on my bathroom tent, inside my tent, on the outside. I, I sometimes get a little bougie and put a little string across where I'm cooking. <laughs> I'll have three or four. Yeah. It, it's really fun. Yeah. So probably wouldn't work for you doing the uh, rough terrain that you do. But I've had one of my, actually, probably 10 years ago, I told my dad, this was obviously before he passed away. I said, uh, I said, hey, I'm getting into camping. Do you have any more lanterns laying around? And he mailed me one, and it was a propane lantern. Yeah. But uh, it works great, and I love hearing that hiss. You know, it reminds me of my childhood. Mm-hmm. So uh, recently I was at a flea market and found another one for 20 bucks. So we carry uh-huh. two uh, vintage Coleman propane yeah. lanterns, and I tie my socks on, and I fire them up. I love but it. they rule, man. They really do. No, I, those, the smell of those... Just everything about them. Just that yellow light is so cool. And like I said, just that hiss of the propane coming through there. It just takes me back to like Boy Scouts yeah. like when I was just a little kid, you know. Oh, I know the other thing is that um, you're pretty into fishing right now, right? Yeah. So, uh, oh, Bear, will you please read my hat while we're on air here? Let's see. This says Second Annual Dials Creek Fish a Thon. Okay. So. <laughs> One thing about me is I love an event. I love to get people excited about stuff. So I got some friends from college and we were doing like, a, we haven't seen each other in a little while. Let's spend some time up at deer camp. So I have this, this Creek at my deer camp and it's conveniently called Dolls Creek, but it's a Creek and it doesn't run a lot of the year. Yeah. And I said, Hey dudes, uh, bring your fish bowls. We're going to have a fish thon. <laughs> and it was like a funny joke. I didn't even bring a fish pole. I might have. I have no idea. And some years ago. But we're walking down this creek trying to go fishing. We're not catching a single thing. And one of my friends throws a rock at me, (laughs) trying to hit me in the head. And the other wouldn't talk to me for a couple hours. (laughs) So after that, we quickly ran over to the Spring River and we started this fish-a-thon. And so three, I would say there's, there's seven of us, but we don't see each other very much at all. And once a year, it's the summit and we hardcore fish for two days in a row. Oh man, that's sweet. And we we have a champions dinner and the whole deal. And so I was enjoying that so much. And I think the reason I love that event so much is my only job is to get it off the ground. If I can plan it, it just goes so smoothly. I got all these people to help me. And I think when I go fishing, I'm looking for no responsibility. You know, I'm responsible for, you know, 40 to 50 people a week at a time. I love my family. I want to be responsible for them. But the the gift of going and moving my rod up and down an inch at a time in 20-degree weather to just have a chance that something might grab a hold yeah, of that. My man. heart will beat hard. That There is something about the the lack of responsibility and, and really learning, again, another art, that there's no tech, real technique to, that you just got to learn your own pole, your own rod. You got to learn your body of water, and you got to learn the fish. I think, yeah, I'm still trying to figure everything out. That's what I do. Man, I figure yeah. stuff out. And I yeah. learn people and I learn things and I love fish. And so, yeah, love it. So it sounds like since you want to uh, 
slack on the responsibility into things when you're fishing. You probably don't care to be in a boat much. You'd rather bank fish. Yeah, it's 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 a, just a whole nother responsibility deal. I don't sure have to do it. So when I fly fish, I do a lot of wading. And at the Spring River, you can walk walk the whole thing. So yeah, what's your favorite fish to f- fish for? Smallmouth. Okay. Yeah. So at the Spring River, you have a lot of trout, but the smallmouth where we go fishing. Man, I was there just a couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago. I think I'm, we must have caught 40 in about three hours. Oh, wow. And we looked like we were just like giving Christmas present after Christmas present. We were eight years old. <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. I th- There's a YouTube channel. They're based out of uh, Conway. They fish at Lake Conway. I think it's Cole and Jay. Anyway, Jessica knows their mom, and um, that's all they do is they fish for crappie all the time on there. And I, we sat there and watched two or three videos last night. They're 20-minute long videos. It's not just short and videos. you're just doing it. And I'm just sitting there just watching <laughs> them pull these fish in. I was like, man, chartreuse. Yeah, you go get them, yeah, girl. Yeah, that's it. You know, but yeah, it's cool, man. So then do you let those two overlanding and fishing go hand in hand? Do you carry gear with you when you do that, or is it a separate deal? Uh, I have once, but yeah, I'm still learning the, the camp and overland and stuff. So I'm going to leave that be for now. And I'm hoping by next fall... I will have everything I need. I'll, I'll have a way to actually put my expensive bad r- bass rods like set up to where I'm not ripping them off on trees and stuff. Yeah, so man. that's part of it too. But I think if I were going to like go, I would probably take an inexpensive fly rod with like a San Juan worm, something really small. And I would take a little ultralight with maybe like a, a rooster tail or something on it because there are some smallmouth up in these uh, tributaries. So actually where I'm doing all this is in the Ozarks and, and in the, Washtenaw National Forest, because that's the cool thing about this overlanding is you have this free land that the government has right in, right in our backyard. And they say, don't go past the things that are red, but everything else is yours. I'm glad you just said that, um, because I was going to ask you, how do you find out where to go? Yeah. So, of course, there's all these communities online and everything, but um, there's these maps on the National Forest um Website And I think I actually found one of their apps where you can download an app. It shows you which trails are open, which are closed for seasons, which ones are uh, blocked off because the the mud's too deep. Or maybe they're actually still trying to uh, grow trees through there. And um, you kind of have your permission lanes and stuff like that. And then you just go. On some of the main roads, you obviously have like some rocks, uh, like some rock fire pits. But I mean, the last few times I've gone, we've just gone... 35 minutes in one direction on a five foot wide trail and we're just going to come out somewhere and we, we you know you have those maps but they're not always right and uh, it is it's it's an adventure but I, I would imagine there's a there's a level of comfort knowing that somebody has been there before and until you run into something red you're good you're to good. keep going yes i think that's probably what would be sweet about it is knowing oh, yeah. like okay i'm at least i'm not going to drive off the edge of a cliff off the end no. of this trail and that's why i have at least i do 5 gallons of gas in my truck and just to, i mean in the back of my truck just to make sure cuz i i would rather that not be the case yeah <laughs> Yeah. Well, dude, we've talked about a lot. We've run for one hour and 16 minutes and 19 seconds, but I do want to talk a little bit about one more thing, and we're going to jump back to your uh, career. And we have been in this COVID situation for, is it fair to say 13 months, I guess? 13, 14 months? I mean, 
Exactly 13 months. I think. Yeah. Okay. So when somebody is at alone, is alone, and they've got too much alone time right now, uh, let's say they did have to work from home and they're still working from home. What are some tips you can give somebody to kind of work themselves out of that? We were talking about seasonal depression earlier, yeah. which is hard for me, but I think it's a similar concept, right? These people that are, that are locked in their homes, not locked in, but they're stuck alone. So can you give me some quick tips for these guys to get up and get moving? Yeah, some- man. So schedule. I know so many of us hate a schedule. Um, during the first few weeks of COVID, um, my wife didn't have to go to work. She wasn't even sure if she was going to have to work those days because they were still trying to figure everything out as a teacher. And uh, I would get up, I would take a shower, shave my head, put on my clothes. I'd go to church where I work and no one would be there. And I would just wait for people to call me. And um, But for those of you who are working at home and doing those things where you don't have that flexibility, get up, eat something, shower, have some goals for the day. But probably the most important thing, the most important thing is we all have someone who cares about us. Now, we may have lost contact with that person. We may um, may have not talked to them in a long time, or maybe y'all are even on the outs. But everybody knows we're struggling right now. Take the time. Take that risk. Facebook, <laughs> Instagram, landline. I don't care how you get a hold of people and ask them how they're doing. Because if you're not in a good spot, well, start that conversation. Yeah. And and all it really takes is somebody to reach out. And, and without that, we'd all be goners. Um, I've been so lucky to have people who wanted to stay connected with me during this time period, whether they needed me for certain things or, or the people who were just like, hey, I would love to know how you're making it. In general, man, keep that schedule. Keep your feet moving. But please, if you don't feel like you're loved, ask somebody. Like, yeah. like, see, go prove it. And I think you're going to find that, man, I know not everybody's out there for us and, and not everybody's our friend, but I believe that if you, if you really stick your neck out there more times than not, you're, you're not going to regret it. Yeah. I think, um, well, one thing I would say is that I've always liked the military philosophy of the first thing you need to do in the morning is make your bed because you've got that sense of yep. accomplishment right out of the gate. So that's a big one. But the other thing about reaching out is that uh, coming from somebody who's been in that alone state and you have those offers that that for somehow in your mind, you flip it around to think that's an empty offer. Mm-hmm. Those people don't mean that. That's not the case. It is not the case. I, I do Most remember- people aren't even polite anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, if somebody's reaching out to you, reach back and grab it and you, you'll be surprised. It's not an empty offer. It's not. When people take the time to say that stuff to you, they mean it. When they invite you for Thanksgiving, they want you to be there. They wouldn't have invited you to the most sacred family holiday sure. of the year if they did not have love in their heart for Absolutely. you. So, Matt... Matthew Wright Spicer the first. That's right. It's been awesome, dude. I hey, hope you enjoyed I've it. I've really enjoyed it, and uh, I, I think it's such a pleasure to be here. Thanks, Barry. Yeah, thank you, man. So um, I want to do this again. So if uh, if anybody has any questions, then let me know, and we will fire them at Matt. I'm sure I will come up with more questions because my brain never stops turning. So um, on that note, my friend, it's late. Let's get you home, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. I'll let you boy. All right. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a five-star review. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. If you're gonna pick a boogie, might as well be this one.